Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the AJ Roberts Show. Today we have a very, very special guest uh, joining us once again. Uh, we had a podcast together um, a little over a year ago now. Uh, Professor Dolores Cahill, welcome to the show. Lovely to be with you again, AJ, and I've been following all your podcasts. They're amazing. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. Uh, no, it's an absolute pleasure. Um Guys and girls who remember the uh, Dolores coming onto the show, uh, obviously all that time ago, we were talking about the actual pandemic itself. Uh, and as a very experienced immunologist, uh, you know, who's been in, you know, worked in multiple fields, Dolores was very quick to point out that, you know, that it wasn't quite what it seemed. Uh, and then again, when obviously they brought the inoculations out for something that wasn't quite what it seemed. Um, and since then, there's been pretty much smeared, censored, uh, and one of the most censored females on the planet at the moment. Um, obviously, her knowledge is vast, and it's uh, people don't like, you know, that kind of information getting out, especially when they're trying to make lots of money and hand out lots of contracts. Um, Dolores, obviously, a lot's happened since we spoke last time. But like for the benefit of the, the listeners and the viewers, would you mind? sharing or giving an overview you know what how you see the last two years have, have gone and what you what your findings are now of the whole saga we found ourselves in very good first of all thank you again aj for having me on the show um i guess i've been following these fake pandemics as you know for over 20 years and then i've been researching into the um, agenda behind them and i as many people as about 25 years ago read deeply into this uh, Agenda 21, um, and there was a lot more information about it. So this was part of the United Nations agenda for the 21st century. Um, and I suppose people might know this as, uh, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. And part of, we'll say where they, it's the agenda for the whole 100 years. So I read this in the last century. And basically their plan, when you looked into detail, was that people would essentially live kind of isolated lives, uh, even potentially in these 21 square meter uh, rooms, and there would be no furniture and they would get their food delivered and they would be kind of isolated and would be living a lot of their lives online and they would own nothing. So they wouldn't even own, you know, hardly any clothes, they wouldn't own their utensils and the food would come on a plate so that's kind of the idea so it's a bit like a prison planet we'll say mm. now people may think that that is you know a little bit far-fetched but what i was reading 20 years ago was that they were going to undermine the health and the fertility through um injecting people with very toxic substances mm -hmm. and that the peak years for the destruction of health would be from the years 2020 to 2026. Um, and how they would do that would be to um, have coordinated activity through various countries in the world and then have series of so-called pandemics, which were not real. And the solutions would be to force people and coerce people and encourage people to take injections, so-called uh, vaccinations, and that in those vaccinations would be some of the most poisonous things that you could imagine to put things in, that there would be adverse events that would be in a way cumulative over people's childhood from, we'll say, when the mother is pregnant through birth 
through their whole lives that would make them chronically sick and give them symptoms of chronic fatigue, autoimmune disease, diabetes, cognitive impairment, uh, leading to Alzheimer's or Alzheimer's of the young, like uh, autism and the mm. spectrum. And but then that the coordination of the response to that would be to not provide treatment, not acknowledge the adverse events and not um, give re give correct redress to that and not stop it. So basically, essentially undermine the fabric of society, which would be the health system, the media, the courts and the government. Right. So that is the agenda for the 21st century that is implemented through the United Nations. Um, and so then when I saw the first so-called coronavirus issue uh, back in 2002, 2003, I was researching it. Um, and of course, even back then, there was clinical trials to show that vitamin D, vitamin C, uh, zinc and hydroxychloroquine gave re complete recovery for the symptoms. And then that, of course, did not happen back in 2002, 2003. There were clinical trials. And there has been, we'll say, eight false pandemics since. So I was very much aware then before this happened in the years. And actually, I was trying to retire. So from 2008, nine, I planned my life to retire in 2016, 2017, in order that I would set up a company to study adverse events and that I would train myself formally in the law, which I have been doing for 25 years, but also within the legal system. And I enrolled in, uh, you know, a study of the law to become a uh, qualified in the law so that if I wanted to take cases for adverse events for people that I would have expertise in immunology and the law. And um, but then my university did not administer my retirement in 2017. So that but that's just, I suppose, to give you the context that when I came out then in uh, 2020, actually I stood for election in 2019 because all the signals were there that they were implementing the plan in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. And I had decided to just study this privately and to have nothing of me really online so that when I would come out, yeah, there would be no you know, no history of me being on any social media that they could use against me, which I carried on. Mm. But in 2017, 2018, 2019, I just uh, introduced myself, we'll say, to the system, like in the People's uh, Banking Forum of Ireland, and also stood for election as an independent candidate. And then I approached the uh, Irish Freedom Party, you know, in a way to just, because I decided that even though my university wasn't administering my retirement, that um, I needed to then become known so that people would get to know me. So that mm. when the 2020 would come, that people would have some idea who I was. Mm. Uh, so then when 2020 came, and so I knew as well in September 2019, it was starting. So I bought a key property in advance of the lockdowns, knowing that they would happen so that we could have uh, services, you know, like, you know, religious services and that people could meet. Um, and, you know, it was an iconic property as well. Uh, so just as part of, I suppose, the way of uh, coordinating what was going on. And then from January of 2020, in my roles, we'll say in the European Union, I was nominated by the state of Ireland to uh, present Ireland on a very prestigious committee 
when the this issue was happening, I was then giving information about that there was no need to lock down and that there was prevention and treatment. And they certainly was no need to be putting a lot of money into these mRNA injections. And that was in January, February of 2020 and in March. Um, and I also was writing to the chiefs uh, statistics office in Ireland in March, April of 2020, and they wrote back to me on the 5th of April 2020 to say there was zero people had died in Ireland from COVID-19, even though they put the lockdown on in March. So I decided to come out then publicly in May 2020, because I knew people, there's a time for the message, and that's when I did my video, and then I came out publicly and trying to explain to people what was going on. So. I'm giving, I'm framing it that way because everything that has happened since about PCR testing and mRNA and stopping people traveling and speaking is really all part of this program that is in the background for a hundred years. So I don't really focus so much, you know, even though I've done a lot of initiatives to address what's going on, mm. but now I think in this phase is for people, some people will be very aware of what I'm saying. And some people might find it very hard to appreciate that you could actually, you know, have studied all of these false pandemics for 20 years and predicted. But I suppose the, the things that um, may help people be convinced is the things that why I, when I was explaining in May 2020 and in all of 2020, that we would be coerced into these injections, they wouldn't give people prevention and treatment. Uh, they would coerce people, like in Ireland, saying you can't get treatment for a heart attack unless you take a test, a PCR test. That would have been unbelievable. And with the um, with the actual disease itself, um, obviously, you know, a lot's come to light over the last couple of years. I mean, me personally, I strongly believe it doesn't exist, never has done. Um, from your sort of background, especially in immunology, would, would you have the same mindset or do you think there was something that was kind of releasing and it travelled through people, et cetera, et cetera? So I suppose your question is, you have two questions there is, I suppose, what what is COVID-19, the disease, mm. if it is one, and then what's causing it? Yeah, in essence, yeah. Exactly. So people um, would have known that from my work, we'll say, in my PhD and in the early years of my research, 25, 30 years ago, there was huge issues with the tools that I was using. So the antibodies were being published and sold that they were against something which wasn't the case, right? So, so and then when I, I've been editors on journals and obviously published, you know, over a hundred papers, um, I know the, the process of this peer peer reviewed and publication. But for the last 30 years, what people may not be aware of is and it is well known that in science and medicine, 80% of all publications, including so-called peer-reviewed publications, are not reproducible, right? So there is a huge issue in this these professions of things being, uh, you know, talked about and described and careers made on things that is not reproducible, okay? So I'm framing it that way. The other thing is that I decided then, because of these issues, to go into the area of immunology and autoimmune disease and my career has been to detect the symptoms of autoimmune diseases in order so that medical doctors and that people themselves can uh, 
reduce the symptoms. So you could be predisposed to, we'll say, arthritis, but if you were able to do lifestyle changes, nutritional changes, that you could have no symptoms, right? So in autoimmune diseases, there's about 88 different autoimmune diseases. Now, why I'm framing it this way is that if people have the symptoms of multiple cirrhosis, no one is looking for a so-called virus, number one, right? But no one is de denying that the symptoms do exist, right? Okay, so there are 88 autoimmune diseases, things like lupus, you know, scleroderma, arthritis, multiple cirrhosis, mm. right? Okay, so these are symptoms that people have and there's no virus. So for COVID-19 then, and also those symptoms are alleviated if you take vitamin D and vitamin C, right? And some mm -hmm. kind of nutritional people can look at their nutritional base and their mineral base, right? Yeah. And their vitamin base. So in a way, what we could be classifying all of these, and we know it's the same for so-called COVID-19, that really these are uh, symptoms associated with malnourishment. Yeah. Don't you get the proper nutrition, okay? Yeah. So then the thing is, uh, we have these so-called symptoms of COVID-19 that everybody is essentially as, and this is what I was saying, obviously, in May 2020. So it's really a malnutrition symptoms, which are exactly the same as autoimmune diseases. So nobody is denying that the symptoms, there are some symptoms. So that means that, okay, there are symptoms. So what's causing it? So then to, that we've been told, and it's in the so-called law legislation, it is this SARS-CoV-2 virus. So the simple question that I've been asking and other people are asking is, does this virus exist, you know, as a, as a three-dimensional thing? Because if you, like I studied Neisseria meningitis that causes bacterial meningitis, and you have stocks of that in a minus 80 freezer, and you can send that all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. So is that the case for this SARS-CoV-2? Now, I don't know whether it is or not, but I've interviewed on my radio show, um, you know, Christine Massey and Kevin Corbett and, uh, you know, Dr. Mark Bailey from New Zealand and uh, Eric Coppolino. And uh, Christine Massey has written to over 200 of these organizations. So I, the thing is, I'm not coming out strongly either way because I'm in the process of saying what we need in the world is an integrity project. And it's not up to me or anyone really to say it either does or it doesn't exist. So in the integrity project that I'm working on, you would simply just ask if you have this uh, causative agent, if it is something that's a physical object, you know, physical thing, right? Um, then you just send it into the integrity project and we will get it analyzed by the people who are defending it and the people who are not defending it. So there was there is a letter from, you know, like 20 of the key people in the world saying it doesn't exist, but I'm taking a more scientific approach, I think. I mean, not that I support, you know, if they want to expose, we'll say that it hasn't, it isn't anywhere. But I think the other simple thing is to say, if the governments and the pharmaceutical industry are making an, a vaccination or testing, then they must, what are they making these injections against? And mm -hmm. then just to submit it to the integrity project and we will distribute it around the world. Mm. So therefore, for me, we'll say leading an integrity project it wouldn't be right for me to come out beforehand and say definitively it does or it doesn't exist because I'm just looking for the evidence. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, get, I get exactly what you're saying. And uh, well, I mean, off, going off recent evidence from 
say Pfizer and Moderna, the fact that they're trying to sue each other and, and obviously the release of uh, tens of thousands of pages of documents, which have shown obviously all the adverse reactions, uh, especially the pregnant people and the, the reactions it's caused within the, the, the newborn babies uh, amongst many other tens of thousands of people around the world. I mean, that's evidence in itself that obviously the inoculations haven't done what they're supposed to do. And the governments have all said that they don't do what they're supposed to do. Um, they're safe and effective, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I suppose... I think the thing is, though, what we've seen is, so just for people to know, we'll say mercury that has been in these injections for decades mm. is the most poisonous thing on the planet that's non-radioactive. Okay? Mm. It's the top 10 most poisonous thing on the planet. And aluminium is a neurotoxin and is a poison. And for 20, 30 years, um, they've been put in these injections and in combination, they increase the toxicity and the poisonousness, right? So, of course, you can put things like uh, mRNA or toxins and inject them into people and cause death and cause lifelong uh, illness and adverse events and have no benefit. But we don't know that, you know, the three-dimensional SARS-CoV-2 could still in exist and could be there with the toxins which we know many there's many toxic substances so just because there's adverse events and people die doesn't really mean that you know this thing does or doesn't exist but i think and i know we'll touch it later is what's very fundamental is if it doesn't exist then it means that the manufacturers and the prime ministers and the politicians um paid money for products that are fraudulently misrepresenting what they are, and that we pay people good money, like the regulators and the so-called, you know, virology labs, right, or centers for uh, regulation and approval of clinical trials, um, to oversight for what is in the injections and whether the uh, World Health Organization is actually fraudulently or truthfully declaring a pandemic, right? So mm. that means that all of these people, if they don't check and do their job, that is criminal offense of fraud and fraud unravels all and there's no term limit on fraud and everyone is liable in their private and personal capacity, both criminally, professionally and their indemnity insurance, right? So that's why when people may think why is uh, someone who studied this talking about the law is because either this uh, SARS-CoV-2 exists or it doesn't. If it exists, uh, then it's a bit like I was a consortium leader of the PCR sequencing consortium of the world. Um, in 2020, we started, but we got ethics approval on the 21st of July, 2021 to sequence any of the PCR tests in the world, but it happened to be in the United States. And within 24 hours, basically on the same day, the FDA in America, the Food and Drug Administration and the Center for Disease Control withdrew all PCR testing across America, right? Okay, and the reason is, I think, it's because once you sequence it, and if it's not, you know, if doctors are saying you have SARS-CoV-2 and there's no SARS-CoV-2 in the little test, and the test itself is uh, misrepresentation and fraud, then the doctor's liable, as are everybody, the CDC, right? So I suppose, you know, I know we will move on to solutions, 
But I think the thing is what people need to know is you don't have to actually spend 10 years in the courts uh, to hold people liable and to prove that there is an issue going on. You just have to set up a system where you say, okay, we're going to test it now. And, and what we were saying is that if you get a, a PCR test and you can't go to education or you can't go to work or you can't fly, then you have suffered a harm because of the test. Mm. And if the test is not accurate, then you can claim for whatever, if you missed an interview or you missed something of uh, $200, right? Mm. And the manufacturers are liable, as are everybody on the chain. So I think what's good now in uh, September 2020 is that a lot of people have suffered harm. You know, we know people who've not been treated for heart attacks because of being coerced into these injections or testing. And they may have lifelong symptoms, you know, because they weren't treated and they have a stroke. That uh, if those testing and if the SARS-CoV-2 doesn't exist, then there's a chain of liability. And mm. people may not think, they may say, well, it's difficult to hold these people to account, but you only need one precedence case in the world. And that's why the CDC and the FDA in America stopped the testing immediately. Yeah. Because they knew all we needed is just for one person to take a case and to win and everyone is liable. And just to add to that, people may see that the tests were around until December, 2021. And that's because it was a class one recall, which is the highest recall. But if there were tests on the market that people had already bought in the hospital, they were allowed to use them for a number of months afterwards, but not to uh, sell anymore. So that's just a simple example. So what I want to do now in the integrity project but just to tell people around the world to give them the information is that they literally just have to write again and ask for if you're in we'll say australia or you're in nigeria or whatever just write to your prime minister again and say where is the uh, standard copy of SARS-CoV-2 that you are using as a nation so it doesn't have to be in your continent it doesn't have to be in your nation but does it exist somewhere? And then simply, if it doesn't exist, what did they make the injections in your nation against? And what was the testing against? Mm. And it's, um, I mean, I've seen a lot of footage and I've seen a lot of virologists come out and say that um, even like the variants and stuff like that, like there's, uh, they're always generated from computer genomes and it's uh, not actually from anything else, which, you know, explains a lot for, you know, the, the, from from my my perspective um because again it's just fear-based numbers isn't it variant b point one one two three five and it's um it's, it's just all to create fear and panic that there's a yeah but a variant of what right? exactly so, yeah yeah exactly so when i asked with the pcr sequencing then because you know and i suppose the thing is we have to realize that i'm not definitively saying it doesn't exist but of course if it exists then just give it to us or if these variants exist and what size is it and do the testing are they specific and what's the positive control right if something exists it's actually very easy to you know if i if i had a repository if it existed you would aliquot it into a hundred you know samples and you would then uh, send that around the world and people would uh, analyze it and it would be same as uh, the variants but i did send an email to uh, professor shin lee about maybe a year ago now asking him you know is there evidence for these variants i mean is the three-dimensional structure you know is there like viruses there not that you can do a pcr of anything and he said no there was no evidence right now why this is tricky is 
that there are a lot of doctors uh, and professors and scientists and nurses speaking out against the injections who are uh, in hospitals giving these tests and they're giving results to patients believing that the test is true. Mm. So we do have to develop um, a way of communicating with them. And that's why I frame it that I've spent 20 years analyzing a lot of diagnostic tests and antibodies that were sold um, for something that were entirely not accurate. Mm. And so when the pathologists or the doctors would have used those tests and then diagnosed them for an autoimmune disease or cancer or whatever, the doctor is not liable under the law for giving a false diagnosis because in truth they thought it was true mm. but i suppose what's very clever in a way you know in a bad way about what's going on in this whole scenario is and and now there are solutions that we can go into and why i was involved 20 years ago in building the solutions because what they're doing is actually undermining the fabric of science and medicine and research in our societies mm. so that if you build all this on a false um you know framework of 20 years of publications where everybody knows 80 percent of them are false but people are still quoting there's no mechanism to distinguish the ones that are uh, reproducible from the ones that are not that then is a, a way of undermining uh science the credibility of science and medicine and also the people that earn their living from that. So the I won't go into it, but the simple solution that I was involved in setting up 20 years ago with lots of others in the Max Planck and other people in Germany was just what's called a, a biorepository, which I put all my research into 20 years ago. And it, it's a very easy solution and it would have stopped and it will stop in the future if we do it again, for mm. example, in the Integrity Project is very simply if you make any claim in science or medicine or in research, in order for the publication to be valid or for that to be counted as part of your body of research, first of all, you are accountable for what you write under the law, like in Germany. It's a criminal offense to misrepresent publications. Um, is that you have to put whatever you're saying into this open repository and that other people have to get that, right? and then have to repeat your findings and that promotion and acknowledgement in science mm. would only be based on whether people can reproduce so you can imagine that if you had a model like from imperial or there is the virus or whatever mm. that even nations um and like the united nations and the world health organization for them to have declared a so-called pandemic, they would have to put the virus isolated from the first 100 people or whatever into a repository and people would do it. So I was involved in the Resource Center of the Human Genome Project had a grant for 40 technicians for 10 years. Um, now it was mainly done obviously from the Max Planck Institute um, and, and the funding from the German Human Genome Project, but everything that came out of the German Human Genome Project was put into that repository, including all of my clones and libraries and arrays. And it was because it was funded by the German government, people could get them for free and then validate my results, right? So, and that's part of, I suppose, to give people confidence that I did that uh, 25 years ago. So that when I would come out now, that I would be able to say, well, there is a solution, 
but also the recommendations that I'm recommending now as a way out of this Agenda 21 uh, is something that I applied myself in my career and it's entirely doable and you would only need you wouldn't need that much money yeah so that is the solution that is a major solution and and i am framing it that you know we'll go on to it later under three simple words but all of what we've talked about comes under integrity which means that if you are making a claim whether it's a virus whether it's a model whether it's a test you'll be obliged to put it into a repository other people can check if it's accurate or not and whether there is uh, integrity or research integrity. And if you are making false claims, then you are liable under the law for misrepresentation mm. and you are accountable for that. So the people can claim to say this product or what you're saying is not true. Therefore, uh, if you are fraudulently misrepresenting a product or a claim, you are then liable in law. Absolutely. So um, are you are you expecting uh, Chris Whitty and Van Tam to come knocking on the, uh, the door anytime soon and give you all their findings? What people need to know, and I'm very happy to, is that if you have suffered a loss because of what their actions, right, they're liable for their actions and omissions, then you can make a claim for them. It's quite simple. Um, and then they can produce it in court in order to, you know, prove that they were not criminally and fraudulently misrepresenting. Mm. You know what I mean? So in yes. the nicest possible way, it's like evidence. Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I suppose we have to give people confidence that everybody thinks, well, it hasn't happened. So therefore they don't, they can't see a pathway from where we are now to mm. a system of accountability. But I suppose what they need to realize is like one or two generations ago, uh, this people were accountable, no matter whether they were civil servants or doctors and the law was actually applied. So it's only really, if you're, you know, an adult in the last 20, 30 years, we've been living in a, cartel where they are trying to undermine the fabric of how a real society works but it's actually very simple to convert you know they've undermined it for 20 years all we need is for people to not block us and to support like one or two precedence cases you know mm. against one doctor or one school or one hospital or one um politician or one judge yeah yeah and i i, I kind of in a roundabout way begged this question yesterday that uh, you know, I was I was in London. I witnessed you know all these NHS workers throwing their tunics down and saying you know obviously it's the mandates and that obviously it was very unlawful. The whole lot of it was, and rightly so. And everyone has you know the opportunity to protest, and rightly so. Um, but obviously that those mandates didn't go ahead. They got kind of scrapped. But my question was at the same time, the same people like have witnessed, like physically witnessed, heard, got many many accounts of like colleagues openly talking in the staff rooms about how they know what's going on um and yet they still carry on injecting people um and people just like just totally blind like just don't care and they know what's going on whereas to me if it and, and they're seeing all the adverse reactions and all this kind of stuff and they you know i've had many conversations about it. so I, well, I beg the question is well, why isn't all of you in a large scale getting together and reporting crimes against humanity, do you physically witness yourself in multiple police stations around the whole country on the, that, at once? That can't be ignored. Well, that is a very good question. Um, and it's, you know, and, and it was just an open question. It wasn't an attack on an individual saying that, like, you know, you're, you're bad, you're this, you're that. But it's like thousands and thousands of people have witnessed these crimes within the hospitals, within the doctors, within the care homes, and physically witnessed them knowing full well what's going on. And 
witnessed people knowing what was going on and still carrying it out. But why aren't those people, tens of thousands of witnesses, all coming together and doing a mass case? Now, I, and I begged the question yesterday. I'd like to see, you know, what what people have to say about that. You know, moving forward. But it, um, it, again, if, if anything, it would just expose just how much has gone on and is going on right now because. You know, the reports I get, and I'm sure you do, is that, you know, the hospitals are full of injured people at the moment. Yes, and I suppose what you're framing is why isn't it stopped, right? Why is this still going on? Mm. And, that is, and that is goes to the crux um, of this whole issue. And so when we were talking just before the interview, I was saying that what we need to do now is to focus on solutions. And 100%, yeah. Them. Uh, in I want to frame them just in three words, right? To make it kind of simple as a pathway out of this. And the three words are that I'm saying is freedom, integrity, and law, right? So we talked a little bit about integrity and freedom is for people to realize, you know, that they are free and that the freedoms, the main freedoms that they have, they come from them, mm. which is uh, the freedom to live, yeah? And to the freedom of speech, freedom of travel, bodily integrity, and privacy. So that is the main, you know, freedoms that we have. They're inalienable, can never be taken away. If you try to take them away, that is itself a criminal offense. And the courts and the politicians and the people dressed up as police, their only role is to uphold the law, which is to defend our freedoms and to ensure that people act in honor and do no harm, right? So that's why then your your fundamental question is then, you're seeing uh, the doctors and the nurses inject a poison that is causing death and harm. And you're saying, number one, why don't they stop? Why don't they uh, you know, work together to expose it? And, what, and the follow-on question I would be asking is, well, we pay coroners, pathologists, people dressed up as police and judges to not kill people, right? That's the main fabric, right to life, means that if somebody is killed and the doctors that we pay to keep people alive and healthy are actually injecting mm. And we know just between the EU and America alone and the UK, there are over 4 million reported adverse events and 70,000 deaths. And that's probably a fraction of, you know, maybe 1% of what's going on, right? So. This is on the scale, of course, is what they, you know, was already in the plan. So to answer then your question, the reason why is that they have spent maybe two generations undermining the system of accountability and mm. undermining the health system so that we have dentists putting the most toxic non-radioactive, uh, you know, compound in people's teeth for 30 years. So mercury. And I'm, fl I'm fluoride as well as fluoride in the water and aluminium, right? Mm. And lots of other toxins. So so the, the answer, I suppose, is that insidiously, they have educated, falsely educated people to give interventions like the dentists and the people dressed up as doctors and nurses that are the most poisonous things. And so why then the doctors and nurses now realize like because some people if you look at the openbears.org the red box data you can see that of the people that are going to die one in four of them die within 48 hours 
many of them die within minutes, right? So these doctors know they're doing an intervention and the people are dying. Now, they also know that killing someone is a criminal offense and you are liable, right? You know what I mean? That you've got mm -hmm. this contributory manslaughter and that what you should be doing is reporting it, right? And you should be stopping the activity. And what they're seeing is that that's going on every day and that people are also being in hospital where they're saying, I only got the seizures after the injection and the doctors are um, ignoring it, right? So that is a complicated process of uh, subverting what's going on and doing the opposite of what we should be doing. Mm. And so they know that they are liable because they're two years in. And the reason why they're not doing anything is if people want to look up Professor Jordan Peterson, who has a lot of uh, lectures online explaining exactly what happened in Stalinist Russia or in Cambodia or in Germany. There is a psychological process to uh, get good people like family members, moms and dads, to go from just going in, you know, doing their job to doing a job that actually undermines people, right? And that is the process that has gone on psychologically in the, in the training of these nurses and doctors, but also um, in the last two years where they've been undermined. Hmm. You know? And that's why they're not doing anything now because the doctors are in a dilemma and the nurses. Yeah. And that's why the solution then to the issue is for us to transition out of this into a system of accountability. And we need a mechanism where the nurses and doctors who want to we'll say, say that they made a mistake or to say they, you know, even from 2022, they want to stop engaging in this activity that they could like declare themselves uh, or do a video to say, I'm sorry for what I've done and I don't want to be involved in it anymore to transition and then the doctors and nurses who don't volunteer to say look what went on was wrong that they would be more culpable and more liable in we'll say six months or in a year or in a generation to come mm. yeah absolutely i mean moving forward it would be a very nice thing to see that happen um and i think we're naturally seeing things and people be exposed right now you know obviously with prime ministers and presidents and people in executive positions for like whilst they're in power doing you know being exposed to what they've done or who they are and what they're actually about and you know there's different things coming out every single day about those figureheads but obviously in regards to like the, the each sector whether it be healthcare you know you've also got the military the police councils governments civil service you know they've all got certain management levels within those sectors that have heavily pushed these you know inoculations onto people um and it's, it's gonna have like grave effects you know the emails i've had in the past um sort of six to 12 months especially for people in the military is you know so angry about it all um so you know i really hope that something there is some accountability there of uh of great sorts and obviously the people everyone gets the help that they need yeah but i think the thing is you know this accountability thing is not going to come out of thin air mm, no so what people need to do is and of course that's what you know, people like me and, the, you know, there are many people around the world is that whoever they are, police and doctors, nurses or teachers or whoever, right, 
they need to decide to invest maybe two or three hours a week on supporting either themselves doing something or actually taking some time to support people that are doing it because we are so far into this because mm. in 2020 i came out and said this is the simplest you know because this is really an assault it's almost like a war right mm. and i was saying that if you want to be someone who's defending freedom and truth it's the easiest war you just don't wear a mask and don't uh, take a test mm. don't take the injection right mm off by not wearing a mask so i was simply saying for months you know including in ireland is that if they're going to bring in masks in school you know in six months time if you're a parent you just don't put a mask on your children don't wear it yourself and have a cup of coffee with two or three people in your home two other you know parents and say i'm not going to wear you know my son isn't going to wear a mask or daughter so we just as a group of six or seven parents are not going to do it and then we're going to say to the teacher, you know, that you we're not going to do it. And then what are you going to do about it? Mm. Yeah. Very few people did that. Right. And so that is the process. Now, if people want to really, you know, study the process, uh, there's Daniel Estelan, who is an amazing researcher, and he has a book called The Tavistock Institute. It's about eight years old. Um, and it explains the whole psychology behind what's going on now. And Professor Jordan Peterson does it very well um, in videos. But I'm actually on my tntradio.live. I have a weekly radio show. Um, and you can find it on my website, custodian, C-U-S-O-D-E-A-N, right? custodian.com. But I'm interviewing him this uh, Saturday. Maybe. Uh, right? But so, you see, what, what we have is that a lot of people are listening to these videos, but they are not actually spending, you know, much time to actually build the future. Mm. Uh, yeah, practically, right? So we, we're now moving into a different phase that the people who have engaged in this criminality are kind of all in now right because they know that they have you know like even nurses and doctors that they haven't given water to people uh, and they've died of thirst they've put people on these ventilators and injected them with remdesivir you know which is what you kill people with so we now have you know a system where everyone has been involved in contributory manslaughter not everyone but you know there are thousands of people in every hospital in every community where if one coroner had done their job or one police you know uh we we would have stopped or even one administrator in a hospital that just said wait a minute we are not going to have a policy to coerce people that you will only get an organ transplant mm. if you take an injection right so it's it's a more tricky phase now right because if they declare another issue this winter right even if people just listening are going to be selfish about it right we're now in a situation that if they say in order to get treatment in november onwards you have to take a new influenza injection and then the people listening their loved ones their child or their mother or father themselves get a heart attack in december that they may be coerced in order to stay alive into another injection and that nobody in those hospitals and the police and the coroners will not investigate it right it's a quite a dangerous time we're moving into and i'm only kind of putting it that way because people i think are so um 
in a state of confusion after all of this two or three years. They're almost frozen into inactivity. Mm. And that's not a good place for us to be. So I'm just saying people need to, and the way then the solutions that they can do is actively move off of social media, you know, that is censoring people and move. So that's a very simple thing to do. Try and build up networks um, where you can say, well, I will only, you know, get my coffee in the morning or I'll go to a hairdresser where they actually did not coerce people with masks and stuff, you know, to actually move and to then say, well, how could I actually get involved for like three hours a week into um, these things that are pushing back on our inalienable rights? Because we only need one case. So mm. if you're a nurse or if you're working as an administrator or a porter, you know, anywhere, that if you just stand up and say, I am not going to take an injection, and if you're threatening to fire me, I will do it under the law, and then try and get people to support you. That's the kind of uh, cases that we need. Amazing. And, and like moving forward in the next, say, 12 months, where do you see, uh, you know, what we're looking at now? Where, where do you see the healthcare system going? So I think it's it's tricky. It's a tricky one. So I suppose what if we can just go back to frame it under this Agenda 21 thing, right, or whatever you want to call it, is that they have undermined the people that we pay and the civil servants in the departments of health and the ministers for health and everyone, that what we call the health system is injecting the most toxic, uh, you know, the a clinical trial that has killed thousands of people on it, right? So what what... When people are going into buildings that are part of the health system, it's probably the most dangerous place to go now. Mm. Right? So what we need to do is for people to take a deep breath and think about that, right? And then say, okay, this, we do need to take a good hard look at the system. So rather than in a way focusing on that, if we wouldn't mind, maybe we can focus on how we can, the law part, right? Because if we were to make one doctor accountable, sadly, we have to pick one doctor, right? Uh, or one head teacher in a school. That would then be a precedence case to flip the whole thing. Mm. And so rather than focusing, I think, on the health system that we have, we need people to support people like me you know, or the network of people like Lawyers for Liberty that are taking the one precedence case, you know, to then push back on the head teacher or the airport or the um, hospital administrator and say, no, mm. you know, we just need one case in each of those sectors to make, to stop it mm. for the years to come. And I guess it's, it's fear on from many angles, isn't it? From people who say in within the police, military, doctors, all this kind of stuff, you know, and and how they've used our own um, lifestyles against us, really. So they've created the circle that they want us to live in, in terms of like being a wage slave, um, just so you you've got enough, you've got a roof over roof over your head, which you know you're paying for, uh, you know, a, a large cost at the moment. Um, so they get you into a position where like you don't want to lose any of that because it's all you've got so it's just like then when the coercion starts obviously like against your you know within your job and like you, the first thing fear how do I protect my family you know I'm going to lose my more all the things that we've been we've had built up since we were little kids which is what life's all about you know leave school get a job and get a mortgage that you hopefully pay off by the time it's 55 60 
I know that's winning in life. You know, like they, they put you in that system and then it's a case of like, we're going to threaten that now by saying we can take it all away from you. Do you remember what we were saying is that I'm not really, that is the, that is framing, right? So what mm. we, in a way, don't need to be repeating for people yeah. framing the problem. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because obviously that's what they want. And what I'm just, I was saying to you before is that I'm really only from now on, I mean, I've been, I have been, you know, focusing on solutions. If people, you know, were to do an analysis of what I decided to do from the beginning is just go, wait a minute, we don't need to do that, right? Mm. So now we're at a phase where there's probably maybe half of the people around the world have figured out there is an issue. Half the people have realized, okay, and they are either reluctantly going on with it or they are not going to be conned again, right? So if we can just focus on the solutions then, which is freedom, integrity, and the law, right? AJ, that the simple solution, right? And I'm I'm partly why I'm like giving people the framing of this that I've been trying to analyze this for 20 years in order so that when this time would come, that a bit like having a biorepository kicks back on all of the models, right? PCO, very simple, right? That if anyone's going to declare a pandemic, the government just had to put whatever it is into a repository. We take like the week or two weeks or whatever to check it's okay. If it's not okay, there's no pandemic, right? Mm. The PCRs don't work. So the simple way to get accountability is to just take a precedence case around the world and for people who have standing. And what they're trying to do is to interfere with those precedence cases. So that, and the importance is that if a coroner or the head coroner in England is liable for not investigating deaths, and if they don't investigate death, we'll say if a pregnant mother is encouraged or coerced or whatever, is injected in a clinical trial in 2021, if the coroner was to proper, and sadly, if her unborn child died and she delivered a, a baby that was perfectly healthy, there was an injection and then died. And if the head coroner in England investigated the death of, sadly, of that baby, and found that yes, it was to do with the injection, we'll say in July of 2021. Then all of the ba- then the, the recommendation would have been obviously don't inject pregnant mothers, right? Um, and if right, so that would mean that if you now are listening to this and you got an injection in October of 2021, and your unborn baby died and you're grieving for that, that you now need to realize that if that head coroner had done his or her job, your baby would be alive now, right? Okay, so that's for people to realize that you only need someone. So sadly, that mother now has standing. Standing in law means that uh, if someone, you see everyone under the law is accountable for their actions and omissions. If the coroner omitted to do the job that we pay them for, and if you don't do it, it's five years in prison, right? Mm. For one case, or if you write a false cause of death, right? That is, they are liable, okay? So so that's the simple solution then is that those mothers, and a lot of mothers do it, like they went onto that clinical trial. If some mothers volunteered it, they did it for the good of their baby and for mm. their baby. So what we now need is for a few people who have been harmed to then take a little look and say, 
Well, I am going to now take a, a case. Now, when I say a case, I mean in the law, not in the legal system, right? And we can go into that if we want. But you only really need, and the, so why I'm saying it this way, it's a bit like when we had the PCR sequencing consortium. We just got ethics, which meant that we could do the first sequencing and the whole thing stopped, right? And I can give you other examples of it stopping so that what we need is some brave people to say, I am going to check into why my baby died. Um, and once they, I think, take a challenging case, then the coroner will not approve, will, will investigate the deaths, and they will not approve further COVID-19 vaccines for pregnant women. Right? Mm. And that's why we really need people to start talking about, uh, or if, you know, I think another way of looking at it is if you were a pregnant woman and you were in a group of 10 pregnant women preparing for your baby, and if three are, we know that almost, you know, anyone who's injected, maybe three out of four of their babies were very sick or died. So there must be groups of mothers who were preparing to have their baby and then get together where all, where, you know, many of their babies have died that they then come together and say, okay, mm. you know, we don't want, because if they get pregnant again, they, we know in, in Northern Ireland, I know for a fact that they were saying, if you don't get the injection, you, especially, you know, for women when they're first baby, you won't be able to deliver in the hospital. And that's a very frightening thing for mothers. Right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we only have to look at Scotland to see there was a, uh, I think there was a 400% increase in, and stillbirths and that so you know the, the, those mothers alone have been through all of that yeah, you know just you know, it's not really stillbirths right mm. I, I think we need to call it for what it is it's healthy babies who are injected in a clinical trial and may that there may be a correlation between the clinical trial and the death mm. you know? because if you're saying it's like you know the, you see words are important so they're they are using words as if this is accidental. But if you look at the openvares.org data of the people who die from the injection, uh, one in four of them die within 48 hours. That is statistically a correlation, right? So these are not just stillbirths. These are not random deaths, if we look at it. In Australia, it turns out that the majority of the deaths now are from people who haven't you know, been injected with what is essentially a poison and killing mm. them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's the same here. Um, I think, you know, I encourage anybody, well, actually, I don't encourage you, so that's the wrong word to use. Uh, take a look at the new statistics that uh, for uh, age group 10 to 14 in, in the UK from the last year, the increase in deaths in that age group has just gone up astronomically. It's disgusting. Um, and like we're saying, this, the integrity parts is, is, is the only thing that matters right now. And, and obviously people are starting to get some... Um, rumination for it i know there's like people getting some forms of conversation but again it's not enough it's you know for people who have lost people oh, and, and stuff like that plan the yeah 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 is a is a complicated and a kind of a, a very bad psychological issue because mm -hmm. it's not going to you see that is a, as well a kind of a distraction so that people financially benefit from the death of someone in their family and of course people are under financial pressure now and they are right to get that money but of course, that is, you know, no compensation. And it also diverts people from actually trying to stop it. But maybe if, if you can, I might mention some of the things that I'm trying to do in the law, AJ. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I suppose what I, just for to fill people in, that I, in March of 2021, I did a, just a 10-minute video because I was stopped by the police traveling to an event in Tipperary. Um, and then because you have this freedom of travel, freedom of speech, I was going to a meeting. I did a video to say that I would, um, you know, they were also doing these checkpoints to prevent people to go to the St. Patrick's Day Parade, which was a few days later that I was saying any man or woman dressed up as a police stopping people with inalienable right of freedom of travel to take a video. And I would then challenge that man or woman. And we would say they, the person needed that was stopped would claim 20 euros for the price of their petrol or diesel, right? And that's just to show that people who are engaged, either it's lawful to stop people from traveling or it's not. And if it's, is not lawful that means the man or woman that's stopping you in your car is engaged in unlawful or criminal activity and they are liable whether they're dressed up as police or not and within 24 hours of that video coming out on the 13th of march 2021 all of the checkpoints in ireland were stopped um never to appear again right so that's just the 10 minute video now that's not the power of me that is the power of people realizing, oh, we actually do have freedom of travel and anyone, right? So that's why I'm saying it's actually not that difficult, right? I'm okay, I'm framing it to say that's an example to get rid of the checkpoints in Ireland within 24 hours. We have the example in America that once you go and say, right, we're actually going to see what's in these PCR tests within 24 hours, the PCR testing stopped across America. Right? Mm. And then the third example was um, people in these prison hotels uh, were ringing, you know, they put a thing online within the first week, someone, you know, was really had mental health issues and she wanted to leave and she put out a message for me to contact her. I rang her within an hour and then we, um, then I said, okay, put the, whoever is unlawfully detaining you on the phone. And it was, you know, the head of the Irish army, you know, in a hotel near the airport in Dublin. And I just explained to him, you know, you cannot put anyone in a, in detain them without going into a court. They are innocent unto proven guilty unless they have been in a court of law shown to have a criminal offence. Otherwise, it is a crime of unlawful detention, which is seven years in prison. And she's crying there and she's unhappy. So you either don't unlawfully detain her or I will ring the police and I will take a case against you because we're reporting, mm. you know? And so I said, you have two choices, you know, you either not unlawfully detain her or, right, or you detain her, but that's a criminal offense and you are liable under the law and she can take a case against you under the law, right? And I would help her with that case. And he, of course, what did he do? Let her out, give her, give her, yeah. give her some freebies. So then we had, I called her the first uh, freedom angel. And then there was, I said to her, because in the law, you need people, you need to have people just to know. So I said, if it's okay, would you mind taking eight calls, right? You're a freedom angel number one. And so that if I get lots of calls about this, can I pass on a few to you with your permission? And she said, no problem. So I ended up taking like 28 calls and people who did it, we passed on a number of calls within like a week or two. And the last, the number 28, went back of his own accord into the hotel 
and knocked on 70 doors and within half an hour just told everybody just leave that actually what they're doing is unlawful hmm. and, and it always was and no, no but this is important is like how do you go from people knowing it's a bit like the doctors mm. and the nurse and everybody yeah. knows that injecting a poison into a pregnant woman and the baby is dead right you know that we know that th there is no benefit to the baby and only harm but it's still they're still doing it right so i'm trying to give you a thing is how you actually transition from knowing something to doing it right and so the 28th guy, you know, knocked on all the doors in the hotel and everybody walked out. And that was the end of the prison hotels. Mm. Right? So that's three examples where you don't actually go into their system. So I'm, I'm just saying it that way is that I have uh, the state of Ireland has sent, you know, these letters in seven examples or seven summonses to say that they are saying that it's a criminal offence for me to travel through Dublin Airport. And I happen to have, uh, in the first week of September, uh, tomorrow and in on Friday, the 9-11, uh, the, uh, the 11th of the 9th, um, or no, 9th of the 9th, sorry, 9th of the 9th on Friday, uh, four cases where they're saying it is a criminal offence up to six months in prison each. And that is they're saying because I would not uh, go into quarantine hotels or fill out their PCR testing, right? You know, material for going through Dublin Airport. But what's important, I think, is that they will be in our precedence cases around freedom of travel. And that, you know, if I am, uh, you know, if they say it is a criminal offence, then I will be put in prison and that will be um, a precedence case for whether it is a criminal offence or not. Now, I know for a fact, obviously, under the law, you have freedom of travel and that anyone is a bit like the police checkpoints. Anybody dressed up as a judge or police abusing the law and misrepresenting it is a criminal offence of malfeasance and malfeasance in public office, which is lifetime in prison in the United Kingdom for anyone dressed up uh, as a police or judge to do that. Mm. 10 years in prison in Ireland. So four of those cases are on this week. And Villa Mengo was arrested for freedom of travel uh, four times in the Netherlands. And he also is aware of these inalienable rights that everybody has, but he used that in his defense. Um, and I had him on the radio show in between his two, his second last arrest and his last arrest. And we had a good old discussion about the responsibility of the people we pay and dressed up as judges that no one is above the law, right? And so in between, when he was in the prison, he got 10,000 letters supporting him uh, within the three days. And when he came on front of the judge the second time, because everyone has a right to go in front of a judge under the law as a writ of habeas corpus after 72 hours, Obviously, the spotlight is then on whether the judges and police are engaging in lawful activity or unlawful activity. And of course, the judge said that he was free, that no one in the Netherlands should be ever arrested and put in prison for freedom of travel and freedom of speech. And that should never happen again. Mm. And he is then taking a precedence case himself against the director of public prosecutions and the judge. So I'm just delighted to have the opportunity aj that if they do decide now of course 
you know, in order for um, you to be lawfully have to go to a court, they have to produce evidence that you have committed a criminal offence. And that means everybody, the, you know, the police, the judge, the DPP have to autograph whatever piece of paper because they are liable if they are abusing their office and just, uh, you know, using, doing political uh, policing, we'll say, just, you know, you abusing the law. And that is this crime of malfeasance, which is lifetime in prison. So I've never been served a proper summons. And I can tell people the summonses were never signed or autographed by anyone. And in fact, we will be asking them, are they in the English language? Because if they're in the all caps name, that's not in the English language. They're not in the Irish language. Therefore, they have no standing in law. So, and the reason, I guess, why I'm putting this in in this way is that if the police, the people we pay as police and judges are abusing the law, and in one case, like my case, or in Villa Mengel's case, they are shown to be uh, you know, engaging in criminal activity, and they are liable for the harm to me, that that is how we flip this whole thing and make the police accountable. So mm. instead of the police going around stopping scientists speaking right um, and speaking right, speaking and traveling to speak to people they should be investigating the deaths on the clinical trials and the deaths in the care homes and the deaths of um, unborn babies mm. and it's it's just a precedence case like that to hold the police accountable and the people dressed up in judges is how we flip this whole thing Mm, absolutely and it's so, there's just so many solution-based things that you covered there and uh you know i truly hope that is the way forward and i'm i'm confident it will be i, I you know i think we'll see accountability very soon um i think we'll see it on our own tvs as people are being exposed for what they've been doing for many many years to us um and you know you see all these sectors around us just collapsing uh but on top of people so it's almost like to put the put the pressure on from all different angles, but to make that make the person individually think, you know, I don't want to live in this world anymore, like go into a job. I don't like to pay these extortionate bills just to get by and in modern day slavery, you know, so it's almost pushing people to the point of like, where's the light, where's the light, where's the light? And, you know, because we've got to see all this darkness, which we have done and, and been witness to the last, you know, well, some people, decades really, because it's you know it's not just been the last couple of years, isn't it? You know we've had all like you know the massive illegal wars that we've all been you know part of in some capacity, you know like a civilian or military. Um, so I'm really hoping the amount of people like yourselves that are really highlighting all these uh, major issues, but bringing these amazing solutions. I think, exactly. So it just needs to keep going. Ireland, Ireland could feed sixty million people, right? Mm. Yet we have only this propaganda about we may all starve. The same as in England, right? And I suppose for people who may not be aware of the depth of the deception, and um, and we don't need to go into it, but there is a lot of deception in the money system, in the education system, in mm -hmm. the media. Uh, and in huge areas around, you know, in the sciences and, you know, and in health. But the, the good news is that the deception is to cover up that uh, it is possible. There are simple ways so that energy could be very cheap and, and you know, like renewable, right? 
So like in Ireland in 1938, they did this water system where you had an artificial lake and then that generated electricity by just the water flowing from the top of this mountain to the bottom. And then it was pumped up every night. And that cost, uh, you know, was very sustainable, gen would generate electricity, like three or four of them for all of the nation of Ireland uh, and would not require any importation. And that simple model could be used anywhere. Now that was closed down about 20 years ago, right? So just that that would mean that people could have free energy. There is huge solutions around money creation because it is actually the nation that should be creating money, not private banking systems. And very simply around taxation, that if people were to do an analysis of where did the taxes go, they might be very surprised. And that like currently we live in, a, in nations where the people pay a huge amount of tax and the financial industry will say it pays nothing. But you could actually have plenty money if you just had a Tobin tax or a transaction tax on financial transfer of everything, including the, the family home. Uh, and that would mean that the money transfer system was paying taxes and that the people could pay for, you know, could you could actually have the same nation and the same services or even better on a 1% or so transaction tax. So I think what the revelation of what's going on now is that people have been living for two generations in a cocoon of problems and no solutions. When in fact, if you were to park that like a football stadium and walk out of it and realize it is actually the solutions are very easy to implement and they are all can all be connected together. You can actually solve the voting system, the system of taxation, the money creation system, health and food uh, and energy very simply. And in a way, all of the building blocks are there and there are hundreds of people, thousands of people will say between the four nations of England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales that already um, have the expertise and skills to build those solutions. It might take what I'm saying, it might take two years, it might take 10 years, it might take a generation, but this is probably the peak of their influence of deception uh, and that we're, we are entering. But, but I do think that people have kind of think to themselves that just been on Telegram or just been online and being aware of the problems uh, is enough. And one of my heroes that wrote the creature from Jekyll Island, he set up the Red Pill University about 15 years ago because he realized he published that book to say in the 1970s. Um, but that ordinary people were actually just making themselves aware but doing nothing mm. about it. So what I'm saying, we need people to decide to do one thing in their lives and it might take three hours a week. So whether it is to just themselves uh, learn about it and grow food or build a network of 24 friends wherever they are so that they have a community in case there are issues and um, that's totally fine but I think we need to transition people from just watching videos and to actually deciding to do one thing hmm. in the real world and to stick to that and to dedicate some time to it or to help uh, us that are you know in every country there are people standing up to just volunteer and, you know, what I say is even if it's just offer your house or make a cup of coffee or, you know, do something simple, but actually get engaged and do something for three hours a week now. That we yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I speak to loads of people from all the different communities now because obviously I get around, you know, the country and speaking to people doing amazing projects and stuff like that. And that's one of the 
the key messages is like it's just people doing you know what they might seem as a little thing actually goes a long way and i speak to people at the stand and the park groups about it a lot is that people are really starting to understand their role in all of this and if that role is supporting somebody else who's doing something bigger like you know just that in itself is amazing yeah even just you know making the tea like having a meeting mm. place in the winter time do you know yeah. if you know even if you're like 70 years old and you now you know if you are on your own through this whatever age you are mm. and you think it might help if i was to meet another four people and that we would meet in each of our houses once a week and just even talk about solutions so try mm. and just mm. you know yeah time just focus on doing something that yeah something yeah talking about pcr testing or COVID 19 or whatever you know? yeah yeah and that you know i've been saying a lot recently i think you know whether it's um testing jabs vaccinate uh, chemtrails 5g like all this kind of stuff like yes we're aware of it but it's like what we're going to do as a collective to take us into a bright new world that's what's really important where you know that stuff becomes very much part of the past and you know surrounding ourselves with like-minded people who is already on a high vibration high frequency i think now is imperative because you know it, it, it stop it will stop you spending so much time over there being engulfed in telegram and every link going and just because you know and i think that's why you know the way when i'm saying just one coroner in my case one judge or one mm. you know whoever was dressed up uh, that issued those pieces of paper saying that i should be going to prison for mm. seven times six months right if either that's lawful or it's not, right? Mm. You know what I mean? It's very simple. Yeah. Now, if it's lawful, then that means that they're only paid to uphold the law, right? Which is that you have these freedoms. So that uh, then then mine would be a precedence case that would go to the Supreme Court, obviously, right? And of course, then would we be asking, you know, how are those Supreme Court judges appointed? And in Ireland, we know the Courts Act 1924 has, has never actually been properly constituted right which is a problem for them okay as well so they're and if the summonses are not autographed and if they're not in english or irish in the language if it's just in the all caps name then it may be that they're fraudulent documents as well right so the whole system it's a challenge to the whole system but why that's important is that if we want to make people accountable for 5g or for having poisons in the water or mercury uh, you know to stop mercury or poisons in all kinds of systems Mm. We do have to actually go that step and hold one dentist or one judge or one police. But why I'm fast tracking it a little bit with the police and the judges is that if the police are not investigating death caused by whatever the poison is, you know, then you don't have to go to the regulatory profession of the dentist or the doctors. You then flip the profession of people we pay as police to stop engaging in criminal, to stop misrepresenting the law and to stop not investigating death and to stop criminalizing acts that are not, in fact, that they're paid to do the opposite. So they mm. are only paid to uphold the law, act in honor, uh, do no harm, you know, and your freedom to mm. live, right? And freedom to assembly and freedom of travel, freedom of speech. Mm. So that's why my case is our um if we can just hold those police and judges and if it's a bit like Villamengo, where Villamengo was in prison say if i am you know because they can always come in you because i see what's going on now 
the misrepresentation of the law is like a cartel, right? It's like a mafia. It's like a criminal activity. And people are cowed down because they are people dressed up saying, you know, so it would be like if you have a cartel for food industry or whatever, and that they dress up as police and that they start saying, uh, we as the cartel for whatever food ink say that everyone has to wear a red coat. And if you don't uh, wear a red coat, we are going to have our own cartel police and courts come put you in prison and say, you only get to go to school if you wear a red coat, right? And we're in that world and you think, well, these are the real police. But once you, uh, the emperor has no clothes, once you know the law and go, well, wait a minute, who are, who are these guys? And are they actually properly constituted? So are the police in Ireland working for the nation or are they um, agents of a corporation registered in Dun & Bradstreet in a foreign nation? Um, and the directors of it are also in a foreign nation and they are not actually properly employed and the judges are not properly sworn in under the 1924 Act that we know is not signed, then it may be that we're actually witnessing a criminal cartel misrepresentation of the law and that it may just take one case because once we can reconstitute the law, which means everyone's accountable, we can then challenge them on 5G and everything else. Fluoride mm. in the water and poisons in the in the dentists and everything. So mm. I think in a way what we're looking back over the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years is I would say to people listening, a lot of us have studied exactly what's going on, you know, what has happened. Daniel Estelan has done books on the Bilderberg Group um, and the Tavistock Institute. He's an amazing guy, right? As have many people. So in a way, you don't need, really need to study that. You just need to say there is something going on and it is very easy to solve. But why we need people to engage in building networks is the next year or two or three or the next 10 years could be like a roller coaster because mm. they want to undermine the pillars of society to have chaos um, in order to overwhelm people, you know, with a society that's not working. So how we solve that is that every man or woman listening to this has a group of 24 people and build trust so that even if you don't know how to grow food or if you're intimidated next November uh, in your job or whatever, that you're not on your own. And mm. that in this transition year of maybe two to 10 years um, that people, you know, just focus on holding these people to account and we will solve it. And the more people that, take the three hours a week to do it and um, the sooner the transition period will be over and we will live in a, a much better world and a mm. much healthier world and, and you know what? if you actually think about it, those three hours out of the whole week what you could replace right now in your life with those three hours to put yourself in a much more happier simplistic place with you know away from fear um is actually minuscule you know but those three hours could be the best three hours of your week each week um, maybe can I just say if people want to email so this is part of what's called an integrity project that I'm doing but if people want to we'll say even just think about being involved they could email at connect at custodian.com so connect that and then custodian is c-u-s-t-o-d-e-a-n.com so custodian is that we are really the custodians of our health heritage and our future 
And I'm also deciding now, I guess, what should I be best uh, spending my time on? So I know uh, not just me, but obviously I'm very honored to be president of the World Doctors Alliance and president of the World Freedom Alliance. Um, and I'm involved in an amazing group of people that are really trying to look at Ireland as a nation, uh, the Irish Republican Brotherhood in Ireland. So I'm involved in lots of things, but because of my networks, um, we could focus you know, on either exclusively the adverse events, or we could focus on a combination of the adverse events and you know, potentially doing courses on the law in order for people to be aware of the law, to push back. Uh, so if people wanted at uh, connectedcustodian.com to just email what they would like in a way for us to focus on or me to focus on in the, say, the six months or year ahead, and if we were to focus on something, the say adverse events, would they be interested in engaging in uh, processes like a phase four clinical trial that would detoxify people or mm. try and uh, take out some of the heavy metals with medical supervised uh, clinical trials that they might be interested in enrolling that we could uh, network around the world? Or would they be more interested in um, courses about the law and finding out how easy it is for themselves to get the information and stand in the law. Mm. Right. Uh, so many solutions, you know, to the things to look forward to moving forward. Um, and that, that's where it should be. You know, it's, uh, uh, it, I've seen good signs from a lot of people in terms of their, their understanding that they're, they're still around, they're still breathing, still smiling. And they're, and they're, they're actually going, do you know what? I put so much fear into like that experience before and they're actually learning from it, you know, you know, the amount of people now that are like fighting bailiffs off and they're literally like going for it and coming out on top and then they're sharing their experiences. You know, just little things like this is really starting to show um, other people, empower other people. And I think that's what I'm seeing on a big scale is the, the level of empowerment from, you know, someone who runs a flower shop to somebody who's a multi-million entrepreneur that wants to like empower loads of other people from a leadership perspective. I'm seeing it everywhere at the moment and it's great, really good. But there are a lot of so-called solutions, and I call the phrase we need, the language we need, is the language of sabotage, right? Mm. So I can say, and partly why I was very, you know, because there is an art of what's going on, the art of war, we'll say, right? Like Sinsu, and a lot of um, people that rocked up and are still around in a lot of organizations are actually not, are sabotaging. Mm. And that doesn't mean, so I, you know, I give people the language, I'd say it doesn't mean they could be a lovely person, they could be a great father and mother, but if their actions are to sabotage momentum or to give people wrong information, uh, the effect is sabotage, right? Mm. And so when I had my first, uh, the issue in the UK, right, I realized that a lot of, in fact, the majority of what I had been told was not accurate. So there is a process of misrepresenting the, the, the law, right? And the legal system. So the, the talks that I'm giving are what's called law versus legal, right? So people use legal synonymously with the law, they're not. And there is a framing and an analysis of the common law, which is not correct. Mm -hmm. right? um, so I think what we have to be aware of in all of these things is, and it would be the same like if there was supplements for vitamins, I think as part of the integrity project, we need to be able to analyze the vitamins themselves and the manufacturer to make sure, and the water and the water filters 
to make sure to not just take anything for granted right mm. but why i'm doing saying that is that a lot of the remedies that i had been learned and uh had been recommended when you see how the legal system works they actually let through uh things to falsely give the impression that you are that this solution is accurate when it may be that it's part of the sabotage of the law so mm. people are you know engaging in things like uh, licenses you know and tv licenses or whatever and then they go into the legal system and the legal system says oh that's okay to give the impression that that is relevant and that it's a possible solution and when you look deeper into it it may actually be misrepresenting the solutions so that people are further distracted mm. when it comes to real issues like your right to life bodily integrity freedom of speech freedom of travel which it's all about uh that may not help at all and that what they're not doing is challenging the man or woman dressed up as a judge or the man or woman dressed up as a police constable they're happy that they don't pay the tv license and that is not what it's about mm. so why i often frame my interviews in that i've been doing this for 25 years right is that uh, i think the law is been misrepresented entirely through the legal system and through the people saying that you define yourself by what you're not which is taking yourself off of uh, registers which themselves are only related to a corporation which is derived from an act of fraud and fraud unravels all so we don't define ourselves by what we're not and all of that things about registers and tv licenses um i would say you know you everyone can do whatever they want but that you don't define yourself in a fraudulent system by trying to you know get out of 100th of the fraud you have to come out of that stadium and walk out a few miles and look back and go ah is that a cartel misrepresenting the law and if it is we don't really need to dismantle that system we need to say in the law it's very simple you have all these freedoms and you act in honor do no harm and you are accountable for your actions and omissions and it, no one is above the law so it doesn't matter if you're a supreme court judge or if you are you know the head of police if you are issuing a piece of paper that's not properly lawful and people are not innocent under proven guilty and it's not in english it's not autographed the 1924 courts act is not properly constituted and in fact it turns out the anglo-irish treaty probably in the state of ireland is also not properly constituted and the state of ireland is registered in dun and bradstreet as a corporation in the city of london which is not the nation of ireland and just represents dead corporations that if the whole thing is actually not the law then people don't have to worry it's actually quite simple you just have to challenge that and you only need one case it could be mine it could be somebody else's and then what you do is to say well the people the men and women of england operate under the law and we're all accountable uh, if i'm with what i'm saying is not true then i'm accountable but if it's true we can actually constitute fairly straightforwardly a return to law which is very simple and once you have law you have accountability and you can sort out pcr testing 
false manufacturing, you know, whatever it is, 5G, whatever is going on, once you switch into the system of law by men and women who are themselves accountable, the whole thing can flip. But, but when I say it can flip quickly, it can flip, it might take two years, it might take 10 years, it might take a generation. Hmm. And of course, if what I'm saying is wrong, then I need to be called out as well, right? But I have given, uh, you know, my 20 minute law versus legal lecture in the uh, law section in the World Council for Health in Bath. And I've given it, including to Supreme Court judges and judges for the last two years. And we have a law group in the World Council for Health and and no one, including Supreme Court judges and retired judges, I've said, if what I'm saying is wrong, I'm happy to go on my radio show or anyone's radio show and you prove I'm wrong. And I've had private conversations with judges from all around the world who are really upset because they realize that they are misrepresenting the law themselves and they mm. are very angry, right? But, you know, in a way, they're not, you know, coming out and saying, uh, listen, there is huge issues about writing to this all caps name, the corporation and misrepresenting the law. They are afraid, but um, I think it's now time to transition from the legal system into the law and, and COVID-19 may be the catalyst that uh, ensures that people take the time to wake up to what's going on and then to find the solutions. Yeah, and that, you know, I've said it for a few weeks, I think it's the catalyst to, to many things actually in terms of you know waking people up, but in terms of what kind of world people really want to live in and um, not just waking up to uh, you know a, a virus, but the whole of society, the way it's all been shaped, the manipulation, the the suppression on us as human beings, the attack on the human consciousness, which is what it's all been about from day one. Um, you know, our innate abilities to be able to be who we truly are. Um, it, you know, it's just been a huge orchestrated attack on that um, from all different kinds of levels. You know, physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, you know, it's been and it's been awful in some you know some weeks to see what's been going on around the world, um, but. I want to thank you so much for coming on today and just offering so many solution-based ideas and, and and projects that you're doing moving forward. It's great. And that's what I love about the guests having on this podcast. There's always a lot of solutions um, for a lot of things moving forward, Dolores. So thank you so much for, for sharing all that amazing wisdom with us and for being so strong, like throughout all of this, like, you know, there's, I know there's a lot of people that look up to you and, you know, you just, just, just a whole warrior princess aura that you give off. <laughs> Um, and even when, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I think freedom, integrity, and the law are like the three things that people kind of need to reflect on. And then in another way, I know it has been shocking the last few years, but maybe, maybe this, this whole thing might be designed in order for each of us to be a little bit stronger and to see where our place is in the world, you know, that mm. maybe it's, even though it's shocking allows people yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um thank you i know i can't thank you enough it's uh, it's absolutely fantastic and uh guys and girls if you enjoyed today's episode um please as always share it with at least one person you know dolores always brings a, a wealth of knowledge and solutions as you've heard in today's episode uh, so please do share it uh, and if you haven't done so already, please check out my uh, Insiders World, insiders-world.com. It's an amazing growing community that's grown by the week uh, of like-minded individuals from around the world who want to come together, 
everyone's helping each other out with uh, obviously a lot of these issues that go on at the minute. Lots of great advice, the resource center, open chat, it's a safe space, uncensored. Um, and I've actually, I've just all, um, introduced a Monday morning meditation for all the members as well that will be led by myself. Um, so please check that out, insiders-well.com. But for me and Dolores, take care of yourself. Thank Always you. keep, keep fighting for solutions. And I'll see you very, very soon once again on the AJ Robert Show.